morning, afternoon, and evening. Welcome to the 8311 cast, where none of your hosts kiss their boss on the lips after the Super Bowl. Today, we're going to be going over some college basketball, namely hitting on Cyclone men and women's hoops and the NFL Super Bowl. That's all I got. Anybody like that intro? Or did it make you feel uncomfy like it made me feel uncomfy watching it on the TV when Tom Brady kissed Robert Kraft on the cheeks? So or on you, the, the lips, sorry. If you want the proof of it, go and check out the 8311 cast Instagram page. We have we a photo have, of it. We have a photo of it we up do. there. It, it indeed happened. I was indeed not very happy about it. That was probably the most upset I got at any point during that game was when I watched that happen. Coincidentally, that was also probably the most entertaining point of that game. But before we get into the Super Bowl, let's touch touch on some college basketball first, starting out with the, the Cyclone women's basketball team and how baller they're going. Yeah, the Cyclone women's basketball team had uh, yet another great week this week. It started off with a absolutely dominating performance over Texas Tech at Hilton Coliseum on Tuesday. They put up over 100 points, and uh, it was it was pretty fun to watch. Uh, they got sloppy late in the game when they put the reserves in, but that's okay. They were up. For, for a while there in the fourth quarter, they were even doubling up Texas Tech's score before they got sloppy. So it was overall just a great game from the Cyclone women in knocking off Texas Tech. And then on Saturday, they went on the road to Manhattan, Kansas to take on uh, K-State, where they uh, also managed to get a dominating victory over K-State. So that's two dominating victories. Granted, neither of them are from the uh, top tier of teams in the Big 12, but it's still very good to uh, get those big wins, keep the wins coming in the standings. So I assume they'll move up in the rankings, probably back around to uh, 20, about where they were before this uh, last, before the previous week where they went one and one. And uh, with those two wins this week, they're more or less guaranteed a top five finish in the conference because there's a big divide between uh, team number five and six at this point. So it would be uh, it would be a big surprise if the team did not finish in the uh, in the top five. I don't think they they probably don't really have much of a chance to catch Baylor and end up in the uh, end up winning this conference. But they still could get a respectable uh, second place, third place finish if they can. Uh, if they can finish out the season strong as they've been playing so far. So overall, a very good week for the Cyclone women's basketball team, and they do have a uh, couple of tough tests up ahead, so it'll be interesting to see how they can do here over the next week, and tune in next week to get your next women's Cyclone basketball update. Besides the Cyclone women doing well, the Cyclone men also had a very successful week. Kyle, you want to talk a little bit more about how the uh, Cyclone men had a successful week? Yeah, so building off the momentum that was gained from the Ole Miss win uh, last Saturday, the Cyclones were able to pick up two big wins this week, one against a West Virginia team who is not having as good of a season as they have in recent years, Um, and the Cyclones have definitely not been able to um, handle West Virginia in years past, but this year they easily handled the Mountaineers and sent them packing their bags back to West Virginia. But there was one person who was packing their bags a little bit early in the game. So in the second half, Bob Huggins, the West Virginia Mountaineers head basketball coach, was a little upset 
about a few calls and how they weren't going his team's way. Granted, the officiating was awful in that it, game on both sides. Yeah, there weren't a lot of great, great calls on both on either sides of the ball, really. And Bob Huggins just went berserk, ballistic. You insert adjective here. Happy. Uh, Eh, he was not very happy. Well, you said insert an adjective, and that's an adjective. Insert an upset adjective. Blue, sunny. Blue's not what? He was not. An emotion. I think you're looking for emotion, emotion. not adjective. You gotta gotta narrow it down a bit. emotion. Insert that there. He was not upset at, or he was very upset (laughs) at the officiating crew. You guys are just making me all sorts of flustered right now. It's not that hard to do. And and <laughs> Bob Huggins was assessed two technical fouls and thus was ejected. Um, and this was after the Cyclones had really put this game at arm's length. And the Mountaineers probably weren't in any position to come back anyway. So Bob Huggins was just looking for an excuse to get upset and try and fire up his team. But it didn't really work. And... In his post-game presser, he said they've been playing terrible all year, which they have, but it's not to discredit what the Cyclones were able to do. The Cyclones shot the ball extremely well. They made all of their free throws practically, um, and I think they only missed four free throws on the night, and overall, it was a well-played game by Iowa State. Lindell Wigington had his best game in a Cyclones uniform in his sophomore campaign this year, he was able to put in 28 points, and Taylor Horton Tucker continued to play well, and Shayok got his points again. Um, and so then the Cyclones were also at home this weekend against Texas, playing host to the Longhorns, who came off a huge upset. Horns down. Horns down. Horns, Always horns down. Horns down nation up here in Cyclone, Cyclone country. Uh, but Texas came into town coming off a huge upset victory over the Kansas Jayhawks in Austin um, during the week. And the Cyclones were in for a tough test. To start the game, they started out uh, playing very well. Uh, A lot of offensive shots were starting to fall their way. A few missed lobs, which were disappointing and uh, frustrating that we continued going back to those plays when they seemingly weren't working at all. we're able to gain a 10-point advantage over the Longhorns at one point about midway through the first half, but then the uh, Longhorns made a big run and cut the lead down to four, I believe, at halftime. And then they kept the game very close for the majority of the of the rest of the game. Um, at one point, the Cyclones were down by one, um, and down by four, actually, and... Just a couple of big shots. Uh, Lindell Wigington had a four-point play uh, off of a made three-pointer and got fouled in the corner, was able to convert on the plus-one free throw, and Weiler Babb had two big shots, a clutch three, and then a uh, dribble drive uh, bank shot off the glass to put us up by three uh, with very late in the game. And then Shayok, who had had a rough game, uh, offensively the entire night had the final dagger to put the nail in the coffin for the Longhorns and send them packing back to Austin. Um, but overall, great team wins uh, this week for the Cyclones. Looking a little bit ahead, this week we have two must-win games. Two must-win games. We go on the road to Oklahoma 
In Norman on Monday night, we will uh, be facing a Oklahoma team that has been reeling as of late. They just lost on the road to West Virginia. And this is a must-win game in order for the Cyclones to stay in the hunt for a uh, potential Big 12 regular season crown. Um, and then they will play host to TCU next Saturday, another big win. Um, these are games against the bottom half of the Big 12 that are big wins that we need in order to uh, maintain and keep pace with teams at the top of the leaderboard right now at, with K-State and Baylor. Yeah, and so speaking of that uh, Big 12 title race, it's really uh, sorted itself out as we are just about, we are at the halfway point of the conference season for the Cyclones. The Cyclones sit at 6-3 and three in conference through 9 of the 18 games. And at this halfway point, it's really boiled down to a, to a five-team race. There's really only five teams that have a shot. K-State, Baylor, Iowa State, Kansas, and Texas Tech are really the only five teams that have a shot. Um, currently, Baylor and K-State are tied for the lead. They are at 6-2, and two, which is a half a game in front of Iowa State and Kansas, who both sit at 6-3, and three, and a game and a half out of Texas Tech, who's at 5-4. and four. So those are really the only five teams that stand much of a chance as far as winning the, uh, the Big 12 is concerned, and I feel like these next two weeks are going to go a really, really long way in, uh, in sorting out how everything's going to turn out over the next two weeks because um, uh, next week, so not these upcoming two games, but the two games after that, Iowa State plays their second games against both Baylor and K-State for the, uh, for the year, so that's going to go a long way in seeing if Iowa State can... Uh, pick up some ground against those top teams or if they'll uh, fall further behind. So really in the next two weeks, um, we'll know a lot about whether this Iowa State has, this Iowa State team has a legitimate shot at winning the uh, Big 12 or not. We'll have to see how these next two weeks go to be able to figure that out. And the big thing to take note about Baylor and K-State, Iowa State has already played uh, both each of these, those two teams and both of those results were losses. One of the, or two of the three losses that Iowa State has in conference play right now. Iowa State has already played Kansas both times, so really they need help. Um, they they can't really uh, control their own destiny against Kansas. Uh, Texas Tech is the final game of the season for Iowa State, so that could have huge uh, Big Twelve title implications. But it's really going to come down to these. Uh, two games against Baylor and K-State, like Mike said, in two weeks, um, as this will really kind of sort out the uh, rankings in the Big 12 for the remainder of the season. And these are the last times uh, that Iowa State will face these two teams uh, before the end of the season. So we will see uh, how this Cyclones team is able to fare, and we will see how um, this team gets prepared looking further and further ahead towards the end of the season and what we're hoping to be a good NCAA tournament berth uh, for the Cyclones this year. But right now, an interesting thing, I do believe that Iowa State is still um, the highest ranked school or the highest ranked team in the Big 12 in the Ken Palm rankings. Am I correct with that? Yes, that is correct. So I think we've introduced the Ken Palm rankings before on this show, 
But uh, for those of you, if we haven't, or for those of you who are unfamiliar, what the Ken Palm is, is it's a uh, more advanced analytical approach for evaluating uh, teams. It's better than, you know, just like a, a win-loss, strength of schedule type thing. They have adjusted offensive and defensive efficiency ratings, and those are combined in order to uh, rank the team. So it's big on advanced metrics and efficiency with your possessions, points per possessions, types of statistics like that is uh, what generates the Ken Palm. And Iowa State is currently ranked 12th in the nation um, as of this recording in the Ken Palm, which is the highest ranked team in the Big 12. The next highest ranked team is Kansas, who's at 14, and Texas Tech is at 16. So all three of those teams are really really close to each other, stacked up right there. But what's interesting to see is that Baylor and K-State, who are currently leading the conference, aren't necessarily ranked very highly in the Ken Palm. K-State even is ranked 39th as of right now. So basically the Ken Palm is saying that K-State's success is a little bit, is kind of unsustainable just because they've, they're not, they're not necessarily as efficient as their as their 16 and 5 record would indicate. They are uh, they're getting some luck to go their way and things like that. So the Ken Palm would tend to suggest that uh, K-State probably does not end up winning the Big 12, but it's certainly not out of the question, and we'll have to see as the season goes on whether or not uh, K-State can improve their efficiency, especially on the offensive end. Their defensive uh, efficiency is fifth in the nation, which is really good, but their offense is in the uh, upper hundreds, which is really not good, so about mid, middle tier of the NCAA, so it's going to be really interesting to see how K-State's offense can do, if they can really stay in there. But Iowa State is in a really good position when it comes to NCAA tournament seedings and stuff, regardless of how the Big 12 title race shakes out. It would just be really interest, or just be really fun to have not KU win the Big 12 title for once. That would be fun, because, you know, they like to however many straight years. What, 13, 18? What is it, Kyle? How many straight years? For KU uh, it's already 12? been 13. 13. So next year, or this year, if they win again, it'll be 14. Also, fun fact, uh, rumor is that the NCAA might force KU to vacate their Big 12 championship from last year, which means their streak might be over, even if it's not actually over because they might have to vi- uh, they might have to uh, give up their championship from and last an, year. Another big thing to note uh, for KU is they lost another one of their forwards officially. Um, he has been ruled ineligible for the remainder of the season. Sylvia Silvio D'Souza, who played a, a key role um, in their their run their push at the end of the season last year. He's a forward. He has been uh, ruled ineligible for the remainder of the season. It was kind of a hush hush thing to start the season for KU, um, but he has officially been ruled out now, so they are kind of just down to Diedrich Lawson and Mitch Light, Lightfoot, as well as another guy who's been playing well of late, but that's that's something that you can go check out on your own. We don't want to talk too much about KU basketball. Uh, this is not one a thing, KU podcast. One thing that I do want to bring up, an interesting article that I ran across this week, uh, produced by Cyclone Fanatic. Um, which is uh, a page that a lot of the Cyclone Sports writers contribute to. They did a efficiency comparison for all the Iowa State lineups. Now, a lot of uh, the Cyclone fans are probably wondering, will Lindell Wigington ever see the court as a starter uh, for the remainder of the season? And that is one thing that they are trying to analyze, is the efficiency of the team, how these lineups are shaking out. And 
they don't have a huge sample size right now because they just analyzed Big 12 conference play games, uh, the games where Lindell Wigington and Cameron Lard were available to play. Um, and so far, the majority of the possessions are going to the five starters who have been starting for the majority of the season. That is Shayok, Babb, Tyrese Halliburton, Horton Tucker, and Michael Jacobson seeing 33.9% of the possessions during Big 12 conference play, and that is averaging 1.034 points per possession. So every time the Cyclones have a possession, they're scoring about 1.034 points. And that is actually fifth out of the six lineups that uh, we are uh, analyzing between seven different players and the seven, uh, or the, I guess it's six rotations that... um, they have locked in here. Now the most efficient, most efficient lineup that we have currently is Shayok, Bab, Tyrese Halliburton, Lindell Wigington, and Michael Jacobson. So when those five are on the floor, we have our highest point per possession average at 1.254 points per possession. So a lot of that'll raise a question: should we have Lindell Wigington out on the floor replacing Taylor Horton Tucker? Well, for right now, that seems like it could be beneficial the way uh, Lindell Wigington has been playing, especially against Ole Miss and West Virginia. But in the Texas game, he was only able to manage five points in kind of a lackluster offensive performance from Lindell. So right now, on the defensive side of the ball, the starting lineup that we have starts out the game and is able to produce and get the Cyclones ahead and then inserting Cameron Lard and Lindell Wigington into the game roughly around the 14-minute mark is, has been when they are substituted in, has been paying off dividends for the Cyclone team and allowing them to get the ball rolling, and then Lindell and Cameron Lard can flow into the game at that point. So for right now, in the time being, I don't see Lindell Wigington in the starting lineup, at least this week. Uh, that's probably something that will be analyzed more going forward uh, once the Big 12 season continues on, depending on the play of Lindell Wigington and Taylor Horton Tucker down the stretch here. Yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting to see how the, uh, how the lineup shake out down the stretch to see what we go. But, I mean, I know I had called for uh, Wigington to replace Horton Tucker in the starting lineup, uh, a couple weeks ago, but since then, Horton Tucker has really stepped up his game as far as how he's been playing in conference. I think he's finally adjusted to the uh, to the intensity and the physicality of these uh, these conference games. I think as a freshman, he had some hard time adjusting, and a really young freshman too. He's the third youngest player in Division One basketball right now, so he really had a. I think he had a hard time adjusting to the physicality of conference play. But now that he has, he's been playing phenomenal. So I feel like this rotation that the Cyclones have is working. So um, I'm not sure I would uh, would change anything anymore. But it'll be interesting to see what Coach Prohm does. Currently, he tends to put Wigington and Lloyd both in about f- about six minutes into the game at the 14-minute mark. That's usually what he tries to do. So I would expect that to continue this week, assuming the Cyclone success continues as we go forward. And uh, based on Prohm's history, looking back at his times at Murray State as well as being here at Iowa State, he generally finds a five-man, uh, five-man or starting five that works, and he usually stays to sticks to his guns, uh, barring injuries to one of those five starters. And that happened last year, uh, pretty much the end, like from the midway point of the season on towards the to the end of the season. The lineup didn't change 
much um, because he found a starting five that worked and he decided to keep them in. So Prome has uh, has exhibited that in the past, and I think he will continue to exhibit that uh, going forward this season. Yeah, it's a classic case of if it ain't broke, don't fix it for the most part. There's some things that work really well that you still might want to fix. One of those being the Patriots' six Super Bowl championship titles. Can we just talk about the Super Bowl just in general? I'm. Let's just talk about it. Sorry, I got really lost in your transition, but it's not for you. So we're we're trying to fix. Well, if the we're trying Patriots to fix winning, the Patriots winning, because them winning is you know working for them. Right. It's not working so for what, anybody what else though. Fix. Well, we need to worked, fix it. It worked for the Eagles. <laughs> Just it's not worked for, for it's worked for Eli Manning and the Giants twice, mm-hmm. but it's working too good. What too, too good well? for the Patriots? Too well? Too good? I'm really. I confu- stand by that. I'm really confused about what you're trying to get us to talk about right now. I'm trying to talk about the Super Bowl. Well, I get that, but what specifically? I don't know. Just how did it go? It seemed like a very boring game. It was very low scoring, a, a extremely defensive game. Well, the defensive minds were out, obviously, and. And you give Bill Belichick two weeks to prepare a defensive like scheme with his defensive coordinator. <clears throat> it's going to be really hard for offenses to manage much. And for the entire first half, Julian Edelman, the Patriots wide receiver, had more yards from scrimmage than the entire Rams offense. Um, the Rams offense looked discombobulated. Jared Goff didn't look comfortable. There were a lot of there was a lot of pressure coming from the Patriot or Patriots front four and their delayed blitzes were really getting after Goff as well. And yeah, the, they were defending well. Um, there wasn't, there isn't much to say that the Rams offense just couldn't manage much. I think they only had two or three first downs in the first half. Is that right? I. Uh, yeah, something like that. They had one on a Todd Gurley run, I think. But yeah, their offense was... They punted on uh, their first eight, I think it was, possessions. Eight or eight nine possessions. Eight straight possessions, possessions yeah. that, the, uh, that the Rams punted on. So it was really, uh, really interesting. Or not really interesting. It was the exact opposite of really interesting. Unless you're a big fan of punters, I guess. And the only punter I'm a big fan of is Marquette King, and he was not playing in this well, game. Well, he's not even in the league right now. Oh, did he retire? No, no. T- well, he got injured for the Broncos, and then nobody's picked him up. Oh, okay. So. Well, next year he'll find a team again because he's fun to watch. That, that just goes to show you how interesting this uh, Super Bowl was when we're talking about our favorite punter not being affiliated to any NFL team right now. Um, so, th- I... I, I'm not sure exactly. There, there's not going to be much, many highlights uh, from this game except for maybe the fourth quarter. Uh, the Patriots broke off a few um, good runs, some good plays, and then they had a deep pass to Gronk um, to get them down inside the five, and then Sony Michelle punched it in. Uh, he set the uh, rookie postseason record for rushing touchdowns. Um, in postseason history, he had six. Um, so he's been running the ball very well for the Patriots all week, or all postseason for the three games that they've played. And yeah, 
I, Tom Tom Brady didn't really look comfortable or great either. Um, that's why Julian Edelman won MVP of the Super Bowl. I would have been very upset had Tom Brady gotten it because I think that would have just been a popularity contest at that point. Um, yeah, this this brings up an interesting point that I want to raise. So I, I was, this was brought to my attention that a uh, local sports writer out of uh, Minneapolis tweeted after the game that in the MLB's new uh, policy against performance-enhancing drugs, if you get suspended during the year for performance-enhancing drugs, you're no longer allowed to... Uh, to compete in the postseason for that year. You're banned from the postseason. But in the NFL, you can get suspended for PEDs and then become the Super Bowl MVP. So I think it's really weird that you've got two sports with two with two very different policies on performance-enhancing drugs where, you know, if a baseball player were to get suspended, he would be done for the postseason, you know, regardless of when he served his suspension. Well, Julian Edelman, who missed the first four games of this season because of performance-enhancing drugs, was able to still play in the postseason. What are your thoughts on the the differing of those two uh, suspension rules between the MLB and NFL, Kyle? I like how the MLB handles it. Uh, it's, it's something that I believe should be taken more seriously by the NFL. I've always kind of been skeptical as to if for... Or as um, to if four games is really enough for that offense, um, <clears throat> I guess repeatable offenses have more, are more susceptible to longer suspensions and longer bans. But I do believe that the NFL should reevaluate this and potentially look into uh, if they have a ban during the regular season due to um, performance enhancing drugs that they should not be allowed to compete in the postseason. Um, this would have affected the Saints last year uh, with Mark Ingram, um, who was suspended to start the year due to the same thing. And it would have, well, I guess it wouldn't affect Josh Gordon. He wasn't on a team who was in the playoffs. And, well, well his, his issue wasn't performance-enhancing drugs. His issue, issue drugs. was just drugs. Yeah. Uh, so, But I, I do think the NFL should crack down a little bit more and... I, I just think the NFL is a little too loose in terms of suspensions as it is. I don't think there's a lot of players who learn their who learn their mistakes like they do in the MLB. For the MLB, you're suspended for half the season. Mm-hmm. 80 games. 80 games. That's 80, 80 games you're, you're sitting out having to you, think you, about you can't what even, you did. You can't even be with the team yeah. during those games. Yeah, you're sitting – you you are all alone – I'm assuming you can still work out on your own privately, not with the You team. can work out with your own privately, and then you can go back to the team's facility, like their spring training facility, mm-hmm. after, after like 30 games or something to work out and start playing in like extended spring training or rehab games, things well, like that. Well, Eric Skoglund, uh, the, a pitcher for the Royals, he was just busted and received an 80-game suspension. He's not even invited to spring training this year. The Royals haven't invited him down, so they've punished him outside of the league suspension. Um, but so if you think about it, in the NFL, you only get four games. That's a quarter of the season. I think the NFL should at least make their ban eight games, half the season. It would definitely be a lot more risky because then, in the Patriots' case, they would have lost their top receiver in well, yardage. Well, Gronk is the top receiver. Well, okay, but. 
a, a huge playmaker. If you don't have Julian Edelman, you're double teaming Gronk all the time. That's true. And that plays a huge effect in the New England Patriots passing game. So if they're suspended for eight games and Julian Edelman wasn't there in the playoffs this year, Julian Edelman wouldn't be MVP, and this game might look a little bit different. The fact that if he wasn't playing, you wouldn't have been MVP. I wouldn't have been able to figure that out on my own. I was just helping you deduce that. Well, thank you. I'm so glad you helped me deduce that. You're welcome. I, I like helping you out. I like being That's good. You're a good you're a you. good friend, Kyle. I no appreciate problem. that. I appreciate that. No problem. Yeah, thank you. But as much as I do appreciate Kyle, all of us here on the eighty three eleven cast are pissed off about something this week. Well, hold on. I'm a little pissed off about that transition that we had into the NFL segment. You're just so mad because you didn't in. get to do it. No, 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 no. No, I'm I was pissed just off. super confused. I'm pissed off that the it's Patriots won another Super Bowl. I mean, yeah, so am I. I'm also pissed off that Kyle's pissed off. Freaking Brady and Brady and Belichick, they just need to, they just need to be done. See, it works too good. They have to fix it. I I don't I. That's I not how that works. <laughs> who's fixing what? I don't get what needs to be fixed in this scenario. We need to not allow them to be. So if it ain't broke, don't fix it. So obviously right. for the Patriots, Belichick and Brady ain't broke. Right. So it doesn't need to be fixed. It does need to be fixed. It needs to change. But it needs you to just be said something it isn't different. Broke. Exactly. That's why I said there, there's, there's one. There's, what did I even say you're coming saying, out of that? You're saying no. don't fix it, but you what you're telling us is that it's too good so it's like we need to mo- remove the wheels off the vehicle no that's not what i said at all i said in regards the to the chrome's thing nobody traveled i said that if it ain't if it ain't broke don't fix it most of the time and then i went into it so maybe i don't know if you didn't catch the most of the time thing maybe we should send him on a trip so he can get his mind right Who, i was just brady belichick coach promo wyatt wyatt <laughs> We can send Brady on a trip too. That would be fun. See, that would fix it. How long? How long of a trip are we sending him on? Uh, for at least the entirety of next season. Well, then somebody else can win. That would be fun. Exactly, it would be fun. It would be nice to not see the the Patriots win. Championship game. That would be fantastic. I would love that. Oh, I I was thinking the Browns, but maybe the Chiefs. I was gonna go with the Browns. Well, anybody besides the Patriots. Baker Mayfield get a (laughs) grab something and then look at all the fans and all right i am still pissed off that the patriots won the super bowl we're gonna get back on track here why are you pissed off that the patriots won the super bowl of course i am who isn't besides maybe patriots fans orion orion is not pissed off that the patriots won the super bowl because he hates the rams that much after leaving Los- oh, after well, leaving st louis so the owner is a crook you've been He's on air saying that we've quoted you saying that i think yeah, your you quote was nobody likes the patriots and stan Kroenke's a crook Yep, that was correct. Either a crook or a criminal. One of the two. But I think I said crook. Said they're, crook. In, they're interchangeable at that point. <laughs> yeah, so we're all pissed that the Patriots won the Super Bowl, but there ain't much more to say about that because I have a feeling we're going to keep being pissed about that for a few more years because I don't see them going anywhere in the near future. I agree with that. And on that note, Mike, do you have any stupid rules for us? I do have a stupid rule. So... Since uh, the NFL season is officially over, that means baseball is on deck and ready to go with uh, pitchers and catchers reporting here. Depending on your team, sometime between 8 and 12 days from now, pitchers and catchers are reporting to spring training, which means it's just about baseball season and just about spring. So I'm really excited about that. And for Mike's incredibly awesome rule this week, we're going to go 
into the world of baseball. So for this, we're going to talk about the interesting rule of bunting and getting hit by a pitch and how you could theoretically get hit by a pitch and still get called for a strike. And it's fairly common when you're bunting. So right, if you swing at the pitch, regardless of where it is, right, even if it hits you, it's a strike because you swung. Right? So normally you don't see somebody swinging, like doing a full swing at a pitch that hits them, because right? that's just really bad. You don't see that very often. But on a bunt, it's slightly more common for that to happen, right? Because when you're offering at it for a bunt, right, if you just leave the bat out in front of the plate, right, that counts as a swing when you're bunting. So it is somewhat common. So you, if you don't pull the bat back from its position to bunt before the ball hits you, even if it hits you, you will get called for a strike if you don't, because it'll say you offered at the pitch, which is like swinging, which is, a, like I said, is a strike, regardless of where or regardless of where the ball is, so like if it hit you. So that would be the case where you could get hit by a pitch, but not be awarded first base. You see it, you see it, I'm not going to say it's common, but you definitely see it multiple times a year with uh, decent frequency where on a bunt, somebody will not pull the bat back before they get hit with the before they get hit and will get called a strike instead of be awarding, being awarded first base. Does that make sense to both of you? It does. And so for me, uh, back when I played baseball uh, a, f- a few years ago, um, this actually did happen to me, but the pitch didn't hit me, hit like my body. I had my fingers around the bat um, on the barrel and I took a fastball to the finger on the bat, and it counted as a strike be- and because it hit the bat and it ended up being a foul ball, but I was still hit with the pitch because it hit my finger instead of the bat. Yep, that would be a strike. And it was a strike, and it hurt. So That's the most embarrassing kind of strike. Yes, it was very embarrassing, but... Yep. So Kyle has lots of experience with that. Why you you on board with that rule for the week? You get it? Yeah, I get it. I didn't play baseball. I played T ball though. It's pretty cool. Did you I was ever, a very did small you ever child. get hit by the pitcher in T ball? No, because the ball's on a T. I'm I mean, I'm sure if anybody could figure out a way to get hit with it, you could. That is true. I'm quite creative in uh the methods of injuring myself unintentionally. <laughs> <laughs> that that's true. That is very true. Can can we ad lib for a second? And Mike, can I get your thoughts on um, how long it's taking some of the MLB free agents to sign deals with a team this year? Yeah, so I think this is a this is a trend that has definitely been uh, increasing in Major League Baseball over the last uh, over the last two years. We saw this last year too with a lot of. Uh, late signings, Wade Davis, Lance Lynn, Logan Morrison, just to name a few who signed really late. I think there was another relief pitcher who signed really late. Did Soria sign really late last year too, maybe? Yeah, I think so. I think he did. Yeah, so then this is a trend. And now we're approaching, right, pitchers and catchers are reporting in, what, like I said, eight to 12 days. And Dallas Keuchel, Craig Kimbrell, Bryce Harper, Manny Machado, all still unsigned. Mike Moustakis, just to name a few all have not signed anywhere. So we're getting to the point where something's going to have to budge here or we're going to run into the same thing we had last year where teams are going into spring training. There's still big name free agents that haven't signed. And I think what we saw with a lot of them last year is that they really have a lot of trouble 
being ready for the start of the season if they don't have a full spring training. Logan Morrison, awful season for the Twins. Lance Lynn looked awful. Wade Davis was awful for the first half of the season. So I feel like this is a, this is a disturbing trend because um, not only is it going to be a very contentious issue when the uh, collective bargaining agreement expires for baseball coming up here, and I think it twenty after the 2021 season it expires. So this is going to be very contentious with uh, the players and their agents saying that teams are, you know, not giving out deals and intentionally trying to keep uh, player values low, whereas, whereas you know, owners are going to contest, you know, that that's just the way the market's developing and things like that. So this is definitely going to be something worth watching. I don't like it because I really like baseball. And I like to be able to talk about baseball over the course of the winter. But when so many of the big name free agents don't sign, there's not as much baseball to talk about over the winter, which makes the winter a little longer and a little more boring. So I would really, I don't really like the trend, especially if it's going to lead to maybe a, a lockout in 2021 or something that's going to prevent us from actually having baseball. That would be really unfortunate. So. I would really, ju- I I really don't like the trend because I like to have rosters set when we go into spring training, and I like to be able to talk about baseball more often. So I don't like the trend, but I I don't see it changing either, right? With all the new advanced metrics and things like that, teams are starting to see that there's less value in certain types of players than they thought there was before, and the players have yet to, ad- and the players obviously aren't going to think their value is less than it is because right that would be Right, they're going to try to get as much money as they can. So I don't see this trend changing. If anything, I see it maybe getting worse before something has to get worked out with it in the new collective bargaining agreement. I agree with that. I And for a fan of the sport, I'd rather see all of, at least at least some of these big-name free agents having signed with a team. Um, if there's a few guys who haven't signed yet, some like middle-of-the-road relievers, um, or just some bullpen pieces for a team, yeah, that'd be fine. But some of these big-name pieces need to find a, their home if they want to have a successful season. Um, and if the team it really wants to be able to build their team for success, because some of the some of the teams might be going could be going into spring training practicing with an outfielder, and yet they're still in the hunt for Bryce Harper. So some of their outfielders are going to get... I hate Bryce Harper. I know you do. Or we could talk about Manny Machado either playing shortstop or... I don't like him very much either. Third base. So some of these teams are going to be practicing with players that they're not going to be... that are not going to be in their rotation continuously throughout the season. And that does not bode well for team chemistry going, going through the season. And it is a long, grueling season. And team chemistry is something that you definitely build during spring training. So I... I really hope that this situation gets resolved, and I really hope that there is not a lockout. Yeah, lockouts are bad. I like baseball. Less baseball equals bad. But are, are, do you have anything more you want to ad lib for us here, Kyle? Or no, that's we, can, that's good. We, I just we can I just wanted show now. I just wanted to talk about that because that was something big that's coming, and you were talking about. I do love baseball. Pitchers we should talk, and catchers Yeah, reporting. we should talk about baseball more. I'm excited to get to talk about baseball more when spring training starts. Baseball is my favorite sport. Go next, baseball. Next week, you can. Uh, we will do a little preview of MLB baseball. Go baseball. Right before pitchers and catchers officially report. So stay tuned for that. Yep. 
And so now we're going to transition to our most well-known segment on the 8311 cast. At least I think it's our most well-known segment. I don't know. Is it? One that's not ad-libbed. That's true. I prepare for this. I work hard for this segment every week. This he puts in at least two minutes of work right before the podcast. Yeah, I do. And it's worth it because this is my favorite segment. So you should all appreciate the hard work I do for all of you to listen to this great segment. Anyway, we're going to start off this Write That Down segment with our accountability session, as we do every week. There were five predictions that came off the board this week. The first prediction that came off the board was one that I made last week, saying that ISU will cancel classes at least one day this week. For those of you that don't know, Iowa State had classes canceled Tuesday, all day Tuesday, all day Wednesday, and before noon on Thursday. So that is a big ding, 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 ding. Two and a half days is greater than one. Yes, it is on that prediction. Next prediction that we had come off the board was another one from last week where Wyatt said there will be a safety in the Super Bowl. The final score was 13 to 3. I don't think there's a way you can get to that number with safeties involved. Maybe there is. Yeah, I suppose you could. But anyway, there were no safeties in the Super Bowl. So for that, Wyatt gets a... Yeah, you could get six safeties and one one one-point safety. I mean... That'll but, get you but, to 13. But, but to get a one-point safety, someone would have to score a touchdown, which you can't if you had six safeties and a field Oh, goal. that's fair. You got me there. Yeah, I did get you there. You did get you. You got yeah, I didn't put any thought into it, so keep going. Okay. Speaking of one-point safeties, another prediction that came off the board from Wyatt is that there would be a one-point safety this year. No one-point safety. So Wyatt gets a... Unfortunately, a man can dream. Yep, eventually I'm sure you'll get one, but not yet. Our next two predictions that we had coming off the board were both Kyles. The first one was, again, one made last week that Sony Michel will run for at least 100 yards in the Super Bowl. I believe he finished with like 92, 93 yards, something like that. So um, for that, Kyle gets a nah, because 93 close. is less than 100, I got close, but he, at halftime, he didn't even have 50, so... That write that down prediction was looking terrible, but he got a lot closer. Mm-hmm. And just to continue Kyle's trend of ad libbing, his uh, the last write that down prediction uh, we have coming off the board is one he ad libbed on Saturday, five afternoon. minutes before tip off. Yep, I get a message right before tip off from uh, from uh, Wyatt that Kyle would, or from Kyle that he would like to write down that Lindell Wigington will score more than twenty points against Texas. We gave him a double for that. Uh, Linda Wigginton scored five points against Texas. So for that, Kyle gets a nah. All right. So that is the end of our accountability session for this week. Let's uh, transition into our predictions. Kyle, you want to lead us off with your prediction? So Iowa State will be at least a three seed in the Big 12 tournament. Straightforward, simple. At least a three seed. All right, Wyatt, can you go over there to figure this out? You go over there and check a board. I have a prediction on there that says both the men and women will be top four seeds. What did we give that? It should be on the second page there somewhere. The second page? Yes. Uh, Wyatt is consulting our list to see what we gave that prediction so we can get a... Yes, I do need better handwriting. Would you like me to go consult the list? That might be a better idea. Okay, sounds good. Um, I'm going to go consult the list. I'll be so right for back. all of our... Oh, wait. In the, uh, no, you just have ISU men and women finish in the top four. Yeah, yep, yep. What did we give that? We gave that a double. So that means we probably have to give Iowa State men will finish in the top three a single just for consistency's sake. That's fair. Say without that, I was going to give that a double anyway, but single's cool. I mean... 
but there's so there's a eh. Do I want to fight this? I don't know. Do you? There's, do you want to bump? So there's there's five teams in uh in the hunt for a top three seed right now. So it's all gonna come down to that. And with the outcomes of Baylor and K State still to come, plus whatever KU does, and we could lose to Texas Tech at the end of the season. So I would, I am petitioning for a double. No. Second the no. Single. Deal with it. Aha. Uh-huh. What do you got, Mike? My write that down prediction. Single. <laughs> you haven't even heard my write that down prediction yet. You can't give it a single. My write that down prediction is that the saxophone intramural basketball team, which uh, started play last week with a uh, resounding 30-57 to 57 loss, will win at least one game this season. It would be our first ever win for saxophone intramural basketball. Actually a single. I, I Actually would a single. Kai. We have to play the Kappas team. <laughs> exactly. Uh, there's another team that we're going to be playing, which is also made up of entirely marching band members which not knocking a marching band by any means but we're not the most we're not the most athletic exactly, necessarily exactly and we have an amazing uh amazing i don't know we have an amazing team in comparison to them i guess is what i'm trying to say that's all i got i already single. gave him right, a, single, a single no matter what yeah so. single. single all right Wyatt, what do you have i have that lindell wigington will start for iowa state on or before the k-state game he'll be in the starting lineup Within the next three games. So that's four games from now. He has the opportunity. Three? We Oklahoma, TCU, Oklahoma, TCU, K State. K State. That's three. One, two, three, Kyle. Doesn't go one, two, four. I thought they were the Saturday game. No, no, sir. Um, Double? I don't don't think it's going to happen. Double? Triple? Double or triple? triple. Not a triple. All right, double. Okay. Give you a double for that, Wyatt. Cool. All right, Josh, what do you got for us? What is your write-that-down prediction this week? All right. Uh, I guess uh, the one I have, uh, it's a little early, uh, but it's uh, regarding uh, March Madness, um, uh, is that uh, Kansas will lose within three games of the March Madness. So you're saying tournament. Kansas so, will not make the Elite Eight. That's what you're saying. Yeah. They'll lose on or before their third game. Single. They better single. I Kansas, I agree. Kansas with, is not a tournament team. I agree with I agree with single for that. Just because I don't think Kansas without Azabuke has elite eight potential. Which I think is what you can. Saying. I think you can so, summarize this single with rock chalk choke. I agree. I'm gonna go with if, single. If for they that. can't go on the road and beat Texas, they're not gonna make it to the elite eight in this year's NCAA tournament. Yeah, I agree. I think there's too many other deep teams. So. I'd agree with that. And with the conclusion of this Write That Down segment, this is also the conclusion of the episode. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the 311cast. Um, we're in your ears every Monday. Signing off the 311cast, we have your hosts, Kyle Mersh, Mike Ludwig, and Wyatt Tater. Thanks again for listening. Um, we'll talk to you next week. Go Cyclones. Go Cyclones. We'll talk to you all next week. Have a great week. Go Cyclones.